Well, hey, so um, you all already know this, but uh, you all all have some, some others in your lives. So you have some, some family, some friends, some coworkers, uh, a boss, an employee, maybe. Uh, maybe you've got kids, grandkids, stepkids, uh, foster kids, what, whatever it might be. And then there's also the, the rest of the world. There's uh, the person at the, at the checkout line. There's the waiter, the waitress, the barista, all the other people on the other side of your social media. We all have some others in our life and we're tasked every single day to one another, one another. Or, or to, to interact with some other people. And um, as it turns out, uh, sometimes we're not so great at that, <laughs> right? Uh, the, the amount of, of money and time that we spend on like uh, marriage books and marriage counseling, parenting books, parenting uh, uh, counseling, um, uh, coaching, life coaches, all, all of that stuff. It's just kind of staggering. And then... In this last season of living through a global pandemic, uh, that didn't make things any better. Uh, that, that maybe you were isolated from some one another's while simultaneously uh, having to be in very close quarters with some one another's. And now that things are, you know, opening back up and you're being re-released out into the wild again, uh, maybe you're thinking like, I don't know if I remember how to like one another, one another. Like, what do I, what do I do with my hands? Uh, oh, hi, hi friend. Do we shake? Do we fist bump? Do we high five? Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, one anothering is actually kind of supposed to be the trademark of the Christian church. Uh, it, it's something to be that, that the church is, is known for in the world, the, the way that we, we treat one another. And, and this isn't because I say so, but it's because of our founder, Jesus. He said, so this is what you are to be known for. Listen to what Jesus says right here in John chapter 13. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. Couldn't have been any more clear. Jesus says that, that this community, this, this community of Jesus followers, his church is to be known for loving each other. It's, it's what we're supposed to be famous for. It's what we're supposed to make Jesus famous for out into the world. It's, it's supposed to be the way that you know that a local church is in the area because there's this group of people that just love each other really, really well. In fact, it's one of the things that drew people to Christianity in the first place. That there was this community of people that treated you like family, no, no matter what your race or gender or socioeconomic class was, you were brought into this Jesus community and treated like family. And not only that, but after maybe you spent some time with these Jesus followers, you saw the way that they loved one another. And maybe you picked up on some of those one anothering traits. You realize that, well, you actually got better at loving others uh, to which some of you might be thinking, well, does my, does my Christian 
uncle know about this? Right? <laughs> Christian, right? Do, do, do those Christians in, in the comment section, do, do they know about this and what Jesus called us to do to love one another? Now, I get it. I mean, if anything, you know, centuries of doing church has taught us. It's taught us that, that this command, love one another just as I have loved you, it's, it's super simple, but it's so easy for us to lose. And it's so easy for us to, to make our churches about our, our worship services or, or our programming or activities or our theology, instead of making it about this one distinctive thing, this distinctive way that we are to love one another. And sometimes it's easy for us to take this verse, this commandment of Jesus and say, oh, that's, that's really nice. We smile and we nod at it, but we don't actually go out of our way to apply it because loving one another, it's, it's a really hard thing to do, especially when your one another is maybe a little bit other different from you. Not only that, but gotta be honest. Sometimes I just want to be mean. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to be petty. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to be impatient and I don't want to, Put forth the energy to actually love one another. So yeah, sometimes the, the secret sauce of the church can get lost in the mix. Like this is the secret sauce to love one another. Then this last year, that certainly didn't help it. We all witnessed our collective failure in many ways to love one another really well. Our, our one, our, one another muscles may have begun to, to atrophy a little bit over the past year. But you know that you all, as a church, a couple of years ago, we had this meeting planning thing and we talked about our, our building blocks, our core values, what's, what's in our DNA, what makes us us. You all said that you wanted to be known as a church that, that did this, that, that followed this Jesus commandment, that as he sat around that table with his 12 disciples, looked them straight in the eye and said, love one another, just as I have loved you. So you must do that. You all said, we want to do that. We, we want to be a church that is known for that. You all said, we want to be a church that is for each other, not only ourselves, that we are better together and everyone has something to contribute to build each other up in love. That, that we're not just here to consume something, some, some spiritual content. We're not just here to be spectators, but, but we're here to actually contribute something, to give something back, to build up our siblings in Christ in love, that we do have something to offer. That this is what we're supposed to be known for in our cities. This is what you're supposed to be known for in your own arenas of life. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, then I believe that we're at risk of losing our, our distinctiveness as Christians. And we run the risk of defaming Jesus for the very thing that he wants to be famous for is love. And that his disciples would bear that image. And so now before we 
jump even deeper into this. Uh, I, I just want to say that um, this is a little like awkward to preach about, a little difficult to preach about, because we all know that we're, that actions speak louder than what? Words, right? And, and so I, I wish that I could just like stand up here with like a slideshow and have like a proud dad moment where I just show you all the pictures of how you all have loved each other really, really well because you all really have loved each other really, really well. And I would love to do that for the next 15 or 20 minutes, but I, I'll spare you some of that. But, but I do want to say, that, that this church, uh, we've had people just in the last year, we've had people uh, go through cancer and, and you all have prayed for them for, for every scan, for every chemo treatment, for every surgery, surgery, you've prayed for, for those people all along the way. People that have, have gone through divorce, you've surrounded with love and support to give a listening ear when they feel so lonely and isolated. Uh, for people that are, that are getting married and having babies, you all have, have given your uh, solicited advice and sometimes unsolicited advice. <laughs> of course, all in love, all in love. And I mean, yes, we do have to acknowledge that, that we have dropped the ball. We do have to acknowledge that, that we can do better, that, that we aren't perfect. We're on our way, but, but we're not perfect yet. But I do think that this is something that, that is true of us, that this is sort of a, a core value of ours. And so let me give you a, a concrete example of this. Uh, so here's a picture of my small group. I lead a small group uh, meets every Wednesday night. Um, we're a fun group, uh, but this is, we had a, a going away party for a family that's moving out of the area. And so we had a, a party for them. Um, but that's not the example I wanted to tell you about of, um, of loving each other. This actually happened uh, maybe a couple months ago. We had uh, one member of our group who was going through a really hard time, had a particularly tough week. And so we just kind of created space in that uh, small group time to, to just listen and uh, talk and, and pray for that person. And then as the group was finishing up, you know, I'm getting all the chairs rearranged and everything. And I'm thinking in, my, in the back of my mind, like, okay, I need to go over there and, and check on this person and see what's going on and, and hug them, give them and pray for them. By the time I, I turn around uh, to do so, I notice that the group was already doing that. <laughs> they, they already had their arms wrapped in love around this person. And this is just like a common thing because that's what this group does. That's what they're there for. And, and I thought to myself in this moment, like, that's my job. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing the pastoring. They're, they're praying for this person. They're, they're loving this person. Thank God for that. Thank, thank God. Like, like this, this is what it's all about. This is everything that, that I want. This is the fulfillment of what I have been hoping for. And it, it seemed like such a small thing. I know the story doesn't do it justice. The people who were there probably didn't even think it was a big deal. Cause that's just what they do, but they were doing Jesus's command to love each other. You know, sometimes you all ask me, Jason, what's your vision for the church? I don't know. <laughs> Most of the time, I don't know. I, I have some things, but, but a lot of things are still really blurry in the picture for me. But there is one thing that I know. That, that small example, that's, that's, that's one of the fulfillments of the vision that I have for this church. That we truly would be a church where everyone feels known. 
a, a church where everyone feels loved and cared for and to be a church where everyone feels needed, that they do have something that they can ch- contribute back to the rest of the body of believers. And so I, I think, let me just use a, a, a shameless plug here for a moment. Uh, everybody say pause with me on the count of three. Okay. Ready? One, two, three, pause. <clears throat> so circles are better than rows. Let me explain that to you. Uh, circles, small groups of people gathered together, sharing life, telling stories about how they have seen God and experienced God throughout the past week, perhaps sometimes ways that they have missed seeing God throughout the past week, sharing what's going on in their hearts and their lives, diving a little bit deeper into scripture together, praying for one another, holding one another accountable. Those, those circles are so much better than these rows. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the rows. I'm, I'm a communicator to a congregation. I, I love the rows. If I didn't have rows, well, what would I, what would I be doing? But I also know as much as it pains me to say this, all this, it's all secondary. All, all of this, it's important. It's essential. I'm, I'm not downplaying at all, but, but really the, the transforming, the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, some of that happens here, but, but just wait till you get into a circle. Just, just wait till you start sharing your life and your faith with some other faithful Christians that can hold you up in prayer. Rows are great, but circles are so much better. You know, the founder of our church denomination of the Methodist movement, his name was John Wesley and John Wesley actually started the circles. He, he started small group ministry. And so to, to be a Methodist back in the day, it was to be in a circle with other people. It wasn't about what church you went to or what service you attended or, or what Christian things that you did. Some of that was important. He talked about that, but, but the distinctive mark of, of a Methodist was not that you were in rows, not that you were in a church. The distinctive thing of us as a people in our heritage was you're in a circle. You're, you're sharing your life with someone else and, and you have some people to, to hold you up in prayer and hold you accountable. I, I wholeheartedly believe that circles are where true life change happens. And so get involved in a circle, get, get involved in a, in a small group, get connected to community in, in some way, whether it's a, a small group or a Bible study. Mine meets on Wednesday nights. Hey, come join us. There's always room for more. We got one that meets at a brewery on Thursday evenings. We, we got at least one that's happening in the fall starting up there. There are ways and we can help you get connected because that's where life change really begins to take place. Okay. So that's the end of my commercial. Okay. So we'll get back to regular scheduled programming on the count of three. Let's all say unpause. Ready? One, two, three, unpause. So since I cannot show you all the ways that you are for each other and loving each other, and and we've already talked about how actions speak louder than words. I, I figured that we would take the remainder of our time just talking about actually our words. How do we love each other with our words? Because we know that words are, well, they're important. (laughs) 
But we, we also know that words have, have gotten us in trouble as well. And the careful use of our words is a very Christian thing that if you were to read throughout the, the new Testament, you would find account after account after account of how Christians are sold. And so there's two things that are happening in our culture today. The first is that we are using more words than we ever have before by a lot, <laughs> like a lot, a lot in 2020. It's estimated that across the world, we sent 306 billion emails, four and a half trillion text messages, 500 million tweets and watched 525 million hours of YouTube per day. <laughs> per day uh, around the globe. We, we are using words more than ever before. And number two, we are thinking less about our words than ever before. And, and you, you know, that's true, but, but just think about the effort and the thought that it takes to take pen to paper and write out a letter compared to typing an email or think of having a face-to-face -face conversation versus Facebook com uh, comment section, right? There, there are things that, that you wouldn't dare say to someone's face that for whatever reason, we feel free to do it on the other side of a computer. And so we, we can send out words today with, with very little effort and very little accountability. And it's happening every single day. We're using more words than ever before and thinking less about them. And here's why this is important. King Solomon, the wisest king in all of Israel, of the Jewish people. He said this in Proverbs 18. Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. He, he's saying that the tongue metaphorically our, our words has the power of death and life. The, the words don't just have content, but our words have power in them. You, you know this. I know this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words have the power to destroy me. With, with mere words, we can fill someone's heart or we can crush it. You, you can bolster someone's confidence or cripple them with insecurity. With, with words, you can draw someone in closer or you could push them away. You can bestow dignity or degradation. You can surround someone in support or isolate them in opposition. That's true. Why? Because your words have power of life and death. And to take this from a theological perspective, why, why is that? Because, well, we are made in the image of God. You, you think back to the creation story, Genesis chapter one, how did God create the world? Well, God spoke and poof, there was land and sea and creatures. You think of the account of, of Jesus in John chapter one, it says the word of God came and dwelt among us wrapped in human flesh. That God's word came to live among us. And what happened when that happened? Healing, miracles, salvation. That when we speak, we have the power to speak as God's image. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. 
I would imagine that for many of you, most of your most cherished memories involve words, words of encouragement or affirmation. And also we all have some of our, our hardest memories are filled with words of regret or our deepest wounds are because of the words. So while our words don't have the power to create galaxies, they certainly have the power to build someone's life up or to tear it down. And this is why this is so important because our words have power. Our words have the power to sabotage our efforts to love one another really well and undermine what we want to be known for in the world and, and undermine what Jesus wants to be known for in the world. So several years ago, uh, Harvard business school, uh, Harvard business review uh, did a study on the power of words and, and their effects on, on people and workplaces and relationships. And they, they studied uh, the ratio of the use of positive words to negative words and the effects or, or to quote King Solomon, they were studying the ratio of, of life giving words and life taking words. And they found that there was a correlation between this ratio of, of healthy use of positive wor positive words and well, healthy relationships. And so after this review, one psychologist, John Gottman, he studied these findings and he applied them to the marriages that he was observing. He was a, a marriage counselor and he tracked the ratio of these positive words to negative words in married couples. And he determined, of course, that there was a strong correlation between the use of an abundant use of positive words and the stability and the health and the flourishing of that marriage. He determined that the ideal ratio was one negative word to every five positive words. And this is crazy. He was able to predict with 94% accuracy, whether a marriage would stay and survive solely based on this ratio of how couples used words, five positive words to one negative word. Turns out same thing happened with a group that studied uh, teams and work teams. Same thing happened with, with parents and the use of words for their children. These life giving words they found are, are essential. We know that. And he said, you know, you, you gotta have the one, you, you gotta have some boundaries. You, you gotta have some discipline, but you really gotta have all of your weight over here creating an environment of, of life, giving life affirming words. Now that's fascinating, but here's the gut punch, at least for me, this is the ideal five positive to one negative, but this is where most of us actually live. One positive to every three negative words. That's the average. We use one positive life giving word to every three negative life taking words. That's the average ratio. And when I think of that, I think 
well, darn it if that isn't a more accurate depiction of my life. <laughs> if that isn't a little bit more accurate of how I parented through the pandemic, uh, of how I, I treated people. And, and in some respects, this, this has just become normalized. And my friends, this is a problem. <laughs> that we've normalized talking to each other in this way. And it's going to keep us all from thriving in church. This is a double big problem for us. We're, we're supposed to be known for the way that we love each other. We're supposed to be known for the way that we love each other the same way that Jesus loved us. And we can't love each other the way that Jesus loved us. If we're talking to each other in this way. If we just blend in, if we just fit into to this, maybe it's time for us to wake up, to, to slump off the, the slumber of isolation, forge a different path and, and actually build each other up in love. And so what I want us to do is I, I want us, I want us to practice these words, these, this teaching from the apostle Paul. I, I think it's so important. Paul says this. He says, don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Let's just take that first line. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. If we were to just do that, we're way above average. <laughs> we've, we've changed the ratio. If we just don't let any foul words come out of our mouths. What if, what if we ruthlessly lived by this verse? What if we ruthlessly practiced this verse? What if we were uh, delightfully distinct from, from the trend because we normalized this way of speaking? What if we did that? Let's unpack this just for a minute. That word foul, Paul says, don't let any foul word come out of your mouth. That word foul means um, decaying or, or putrefying words. In other words, don't, don't let any, any dead talk come out of your mouth. And he contrasts that to the life-giving talk, the, the words that, that build each other up. You see, Paul is, is talking about your personal ratio here. He's talking about my personal ratio here. And he acknowledges there are going to be those foul words, those, those dead, those decaying words. They're, they're going to sit right there in your throat. Like say me, say me, say me, type me, type me, type me. Paul says, don't let them out. <laughs> don't, don't let them out of your mouth. They're, they're going to come, but just don't let them out of your mouth. Instead, he says, what is allowed? What, what does make it past the security checkpoint, Paul says, are only those words that fall into the category of building others up. You're going to actively push out all of those words. Because isn't it true? Isn't it true that, that just as much as we have to refrain from saying certain things, it, we also have to expend the energy to actually speak up and say positive things instead of say, staying silent. And this also means that we have to rewire the brain, tongue, nerve pattern, because we have to learn how to speak according to others' needs, as Paul says, not, not according to our own. And, you know, oftentimes when I speak, it's, it's according to my own needs. 
what I need, what I want, what I think, what I believe. But, but this verse requires us it says you, you have the power to speak not for your own needs, but for the needs of others. It says to benefit those who are listening. And sometimes the whole point of me speaking is so that I do not benefit those who are listening to me. This, this is hard. What Paul is calling us to, because without it, friends, again, this, this is the ratio. Three negative words to every one positive words. And, and Paul is saying, if this is the ratio, you've got to intervene. You got to, you got to step up this. This might be the average, but this is not you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've got to keep those, those foul death dealing words in check and start pushing out those life giving words to build up the community. Loving one another starts here. It has to start here. Because this ratio, this, that's not how your savior speaks to you. That's not how Jesus speaks in love to you. No, Jesus came to speak love into your life. Jesus came to speak hope and freedom into your life. Jesus came to speak resurrection into your life. And that's exactly what he wants you to speak into the lives of others to build them up. This cannot be our ratio. We've, we've got to change it. And so what I want us to do this week is to focus on it. What does your ratio look like? What, what direction is your scale tipping and how can you, how can you change? the direction. And by doing so, how can you change perhaps someone's life? Let's pray. So God, you who spoke the world into creation, you who, who spoke life in to us, God, help us. Help us to, to image that. Help us to, to recreate that as, as best we can to speak life into each other's lives. And God, we do confess the times that we have failed to do so. Those, those times where we've, we've used our words to harm and tear down one another instead of building each other up. Lord, may, may this practice start with our tongue. You, you have called us to love each other. Maybe the first place, maybe the most important place we have to begin is with our tongue. So God, we pray that your Holy spirit would lead us and guide us. Give us the words to speak words that speak life and not death. Words that glorify you words that, that point to you. As we speak to one another, pray this in Jesus name. Amen.